I'm Dan Jurgen, Vice Chairman of IHS Market, and welcome to the Sear Week conversation presented by uh, IHS Market. Uh, we're talking today with Vicki Hollop, who is CEO of Occidental Petroleum, one of the world's leading uh, oil and gas companies and chemical companies, and Chris Ashton, who's CEO of Warley, which is one of the world's leading uh, engineering and construction firms uh, in the energy arena. Why are we talking to them together? Because of carbon capture. So Vicki and Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Great, Thank great you. to join you and Vicki on the call today. Right. So Worley is Oxy's engineering partner in one of the most uh, innovative projects aimed at uh, of addressing CO2 emissions, uh, direct air capture in Texas. Uh, carbon capture has become a global theme, uh, a necessity, and this project is getting global attention. So this is an opportunity for all of us to get an advanced look at this very important project. In our half hour, we'll discuss the project and how it works. And then we'll also take the opportunity to talk with Vicki about the shale industry and markets at a time very different from a year ago about being a carbon management company. And Chris, what's happening in the global engineering business at a time when supply disruption, supply chain disruption has become so evident and infrastructure so needed. So direct air capture has been compared to what trees and plants do uh, in terms of capturing CO2, but doing it much faster in record time. Vicki, in, in a nutshell, can you describe what direct air capture is? Yes, direct air capture is a process that actually pulls air from the atmosphere, runs it through a facility where the CO2 is extracted, and then, um, then we have possibilities on what we can do with the CO2 that's extracted from that. And our plan currently is to, to use multiple processes, one of which we're really excited about, and that is the sequestration of CO2 in oil reservoirs to generate a, net, a negative barrel of oil. And right. so that to me is uh, very exciting. Right, so given the eventual size and scale of this project in uh, Texas and the Permian, it's clearly the most important direct air capture project in the world. Uh, is, is that a fair assessment? Yes, I believe so, because currently the world is only making about 1.6 million barrels of oil per day of synthetic or, um, or uh, low carbon fuels and to make what the world needs to make, which is according to the IEA model for net zero by 2050, we need to make then 19 million barrels of oil. Direct air capture will produce the CO2 that enables us to produce and make up part of that production by, right. by 2050. And Chris, from the engineering perspective, uh, can you say something about how you see its impact? Look, I think for me, uh, direct air capture and the possibilities of it impacting positively where the world needs to go is, is tremendous. It, you know, it's a huge opportunity to address what are some of the, the, the industries that are in the near term very hard to abate. Aviation, uh, you know, sort of cement, steel. Uh, and so I think that uh, what direct air capture does is allow us to, working with Oxy, to address some of the really big challenges the world is facing when it comes to decarbonization and well, put, the, to, put, put into that the engineering capability that we have. Well, I mean, I think to many of the people watching this, this is 
either they've heard about it or it's a novel idea altogether. Vicky, how did this come about? How did Oxy find its way to direct air capture? Well, we've been uh, handling CO2 for enhanced oil recovery projects in the Permian Basin for 40 years. And today we're the largest handler of CO2 for enhanced oil recovery in the world. So we have a lot of experience with it. And about 10 years ago, we started looking at how we get our CO2 and realized that um, with the world changing and with what the world needs to happen today, that it's best to pull our CO2 from anthropogenic or atmospheric sources to replace the organic CO2 that we've been previously using. So it's important to us to make this happen and it's going to generate value for our shareholders by using it in, in enhanced oil recovery projects. And as Chris mentioned, for aviation and maritime fuels, this is critical to happen. So where did, but how did you come across direct air capture? I mean, how did you discover it? Direct air capture, we, we started noticing a company called Carbon Engineering in Canada and started looking around at all the technologies. And there's about three technologies that exist today for carbon capture uh, from the atmosphere. We found that uh, this technology we believe is the most scalable and, uh, and it fits with our Oxychem business in that the facility is gonna require the use of two of the products that are important to us and, and Oxychem, and that is PVC and potassium hydroxide, both of which are needed for the facility. PVC will be a part of the construction and internal to the uh, facility, and uh, potassium hydroxide will be what pulls the CO2 out of the atmosphere, out of the air. Right, so do you see using the CO2 for more than, uh, more than uh, enhanced uh, oil and gas oil yes. production? Yes, and in addition to producing uh, net zero or net negative barrels of oil, we also can sequester it in uh, saline reservoirs and or convert it to products. And one of the products that we're kind of excited about is the conversion of CO2 into bioethylene. Our chemicals business does use a lot of ethylene and so to be able to, to provide bioethylene also makes our products from the chemical industry ultimately low carbon or no carbon as well. So Chris, what, what, what attracted Worley to this project? Well, you know, one of the things that has made a difference, I think as we began to work together is the level of collaboration that exists between the two teams. And that was a standout from the beginning as a conversation began with Vicky and some of her team it was clear that they were looking for a deep uh, collaboration and a partner who would work with them closely and probably differently to that which, uh, and the way which companies have typically worked with customers in the past. And that for me is, a, is an example of how we're gonna have to work together going, fast, uh, going forward, a much more collaborative, integrated uh, way of working. And that was a very attractive um, uh, opportunity combined with obviously the incredible uh, positive impact we believe direct air capture can, can bring. So this, uh, does, uh, this is not a pilot project, this is a commercial project, uh, but uh, to meet the kind of ambitions that you both talked about on climate and CO2, what are the big challenges in terms of scaling direct air uh, capture? Uh, what do you need to do about cost reductions? And you know, just what makes it, as feasible, as feasible as it is. Vicki? I would say that um, it's going to take, um, as Chris said, two companies working very well together 
And we are just so impressed with Worley's method of driving innovation within their company. It's very unique and something that we haven't seen before. So the innovation is happening uh, for the first facility, even as the design teams are working to ensure that we stay on schedule. So this combined innovation effort, uh, along with the effort to, to make sure that we meet our schedules is to me going to help us get the cost down and direct air capture in a similar way to what's happened in, um, in solar and in wind. And our teams are very, very versed in, in scaling up pilots to large facilities as is uh, Worley. And uh, so the combination of the two of us, I think will give the world the best chance to have this first direct air capture facility be the best that it, that it can be. And it's important for the world for this to be successful. Well, as I understand, uh, although this involves a lot of innovation, it doesn't require inventing new processes or systems. And Chris, maybe you can talk about one of the things that makes this as feasible as it is. Well, I think if you look at the component parts of direct air capture, they're all established. It's about bringing together the component parts of it in a way that is new. And you know, as Vicky pointed out, and you asked the question, what makes it is the innovation. It's the innovative nature of bringing the component parts of direct capture together in a way that you know we can sort of you know scale it up. And I think you know Vicky touched on the economics. The economics are clearly very very important, and I think one of the big contributors to addressing the economic viability of this is the fact that we are working together in an integrated, innovative way, uh, because so much inefficiency, so much inefficiencies exist in the way that traditionally supply chains interact. And I think we've taken a big step forward in the way we're working together. So what's, could you give us a sense of the timing? Vicki? From my perspective, we expect to be at FID in Q1 of, um, of next year, and then start construction by the end of next year. And so far uh, it's looking like that's doable and we're, we're excited to, to be able to accomplish that. So would this be a 2023, 2024 that it would be up in operation, do you think? It should be up in operation uh, in 2024. Right. Um, how, um, when you meet with your respective investors, uh, how do they respond to, uh, once you explain to them how direct air capture works, what's their response? I guess I can start with how our investors are responding. Because it's a key part of what we do, and because CO2 enhanced oil recovery is a core competence of ours, our investors understand that um, part of this will help to uh, help us to lower our cost in our CO2 operations, which will generate about 2 billion barrels of resources that we can continue to develop in our enhanced oil recovery business. So it's a value add for our shareholders. Yeah, look, and just building on that, if you look at the reports coming from the IEA or the latest uh, you know, IPCC, if you look at technical journals, but carbon capture is going to have to play a role if the world is going to meet net zero in 2050. And direct air capture and where we are working together with Oxy and, and carbon engineering is an absolutely critical part of that future. So when we talk to our investors, they get very excited with the prospect that direct capture brings and the fact that Worley, working collaboratively with Occidental, 
is uh, is, is the together, and they see us as very much at the center of solving, you know, this this challenge. So, um, do you think? Um, I mean, once your facility is up, and it sort of really proves the concept at scale, uh, what do you think happens then? Our intent is to continue the construction. We have announced that we'll build up to 12 facilities in the Permian Basin, but we ultimately want to build facilities in uh, the DJ Basin in Colorado, in the Powder River in Wyoming, and then we want to expand to our international operations as well. And as Chris said, uh, you know, there needs to be a lot of these built over time because that's the only way that we can uh, cap global warming at one and a half degrees. This has to happen in a big way. Yeah, I mean, you know, none of the, whenever we look at it, none of the numbers work without carbon capture and uh, carbon capture at scale. So, I mean, that's very clear. Chris, were you about maybe, to say? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe just come and look at the scale that's so important, but also the pace. And I think once the direct air capture technology that we're working on together um, is up and running and we clearly demonstrate that it's, 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 it works and it's viable, the scaling opportunities are just immense. Um, but it's also about that pace. And right. I think it's a combination of the pace and scale which is going to differentiate the opportunity that direct eye capture provides. Yeah. Well, let me turn now to talk more broadly about your respective uh, businesses. Uh, Vicky, uh, always a question about uh, the state of shale relations with investors, and uh, it's so different than it was a year ago. How do things look to you now? I think our investors are um, wanting us to, to approach our developments in a more prudent way and to ensure that we're delivering a, um, a good return on capital employed. And uh, in the world that we're in today, with, um, with demand now becoming very closely balanced with supply, and ultimately, I think in, in 2022, demand is going to exceed supply. So I think that as the world starts to pivot toward a, um, a more robust oil price, I think that uh, our investors will appreciate um, the discipline that we intend to demonstrate through this cycle. And we, we know that there could be a little inflation, but we expect and hope that uh, we'll continue to gain efficiencies that can partially offset the, that inflation right. to capture the, the value that shareholders deserve so, in this environment. Vicki, one thing that you've said and of course, it re relates directly to direct air capture is, you know, the vision you have for Oxy, that it's not only a um, oil and gas company, chemical company, but it's also a carbon management company. And I think it would be very useful in this context to just uh, explain what you mean. Yes, I do believe that, um, that as Chris was mentioning, the carbon capture business, is, it's going to be an industry and it's going to be probably a three to $5 trillion industry if you look at how much carbon capture is going to be needed around the world. We believe that our core competence and our infrastructure, particularly what we have in the Permian Basin, is such that we can start pivoting from an oil and gas company to carbon capture. We think ultimately it's gonna generate uh, as much uh, earnings and cash flow as our oil business does today. And so it's, a we believe, a longer lasting business so right now, the, and then just the Permian Basin alone, there's 150 gigatons of storage capacity available. There's a lot that we could do in just the Permian right. here in the United States. And Chris, you, uh, you sort of alluded to this before, 
but rethinking how uh, you execute large capital projects at scale. And that's front and center on your agenda in terms of meeting global needs. How is that changing? Look, if we continue to execute projects in the way they've traditionally been done, it's unlikely that uh, there is sufficient capacity to deliver that which is needed if we're going to hit that net zero at 2050. So we've got to look at greater levels of collaboration. We've got to look at greater levels of, of, of integration and working with communities. We've got to look at greater levels of transparency to allow us to accelerate that. We've got to look at designing one and building many. So if you look at the, the, the what we're going to be doing with direct capture, being able to replicate that around the world, um, and I just believe that we're going to have to see a much more deeply integrated supply chain. But there's one thing for certain, if we continue to think of developing projects and delivering projects as we've done traditionally, there isn't sufficient capacity in the world to deliver the, the, the scale at the pace necessary to hit net zero 2050. Why is, why is that? Well, because of, you look at the capital investment levels that we're talking about. If you look at, you know, Vicky talks about three to $5 trillion in this space alone. If you look at what the, uh, some of the large investment banks estimate to be the uh, required capital investment uh, across all of the, uh, of the world, not just the energy sector, but chemicals, resource sector. Um, you know, it's not just direct capture, it's green hydrogen. Yeah, it, it, it's different. It's the different forms of carbon capture. If you look at what's required to put assets in the ground or modify existing assets, it's going to be the largest spend in, in history. And we're going to have to look at doing things differently. One of the things will be increased levels of automation, digitization, use of artificial intelligence, um, you know, to, to, in order to, to deliver the assets at the pace and the, the scale necessary. When we were talking the other day, you mentioned uh, an interesting phrase. You said engineers have become commoditized and that needs to change. What is that? If you look at over the last like 20 or 30 years, I'd say the last you know, three decades, uh, the engineering, if you talk to a lot of uh, you know, my, uh, my fellow CEOs in, us, in our business, they would talk about engineering, the fields of engineering has been commoditized. And um, if we look forward, you know, the kind of engineering that we're doing going forward, the use of artificial intelligence, machine learning, data, digital, the kind of, uh, of graduates we're recruiting, it's moving into a very exciting space. I'm calling in today from our digital laboratory. And if people on the call could see what this facility looks and feels like, it would be like walking into a high-tech office. And that's the future of engineering. Yeah, I have to say that when you did give us a virtual tour before we started, it didn't look like, uh, I didn't see any cubicles. Yeah, no cubicles. You know, the days of cubicles, you know, if we're going to attract and retain the best talent in the business, uh, you've got to give them people a physical environment that is conducive them, to them wanting to come and work with you, but also to stay with you. So over time, the days of cubicles will disappear and we'll be creating a much more modern contemporary feel uh, within the uh, offices that we, uh, we occupy. Okay. So let me ask you just a couple more questions. One, I think you both um, think about this, which is how to get a consistent message to stakeholders from the industries uh, about uh, the challenges and how to resolve them. Um, how do you see that? Is it happening? Vicki? Well, the challenges are, um, Twofold. One is 
making sure that we retain the talent and grow the talent and grow the talent for what's going to be needed in the future. So our mission here is to continue to produce oil and gas in the most efficient way, being a top tier, best in class producer. That has to be our, our number one uh, charge today. But we're also gearing up our workforce for the challenges of tomorrow. And the challenges of tomorrow are exactly as Chris said, the best and brightest that are coming out of universities today are a, a lot more reluctant to go to work for a traditional fossil fuels company. So that's not what we wanna be. Uh, what we wanna be is the oil and gas energy company of the future. And as we said, carbon management's a big part of that, but also how we, how we uh, develop and produce our gas differently today than what we've done in the past. We have to be a different company. The industry has to be different and we wanna set the, the pace for that as well. So, and as you've described it, Chris, that's the same kind of challenge you face. Yeah, look, it's about, you know, I think as, a, as an industry, uh, it's about coming together, speaking with more of a common voice, recognizing that the, uh, the energy industries of the future uh, are gonna be different to the past. And there's a period of transition, but we're always gonna need energy. It's an essential part of, 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 of the world in which we live, and it's going to continue to be that. But it's about creating an environment and communicating the message and pivoting our organizations to a new world that the new generation and future generations truly believe it's worth being part of. And I think as an industry, we have an obligation to uh, manage collectively the message uh, into the uh, into the communities uh, and the stakeholder base within which uh, the universe within which we operate. And Dan, if I could add to what Chris said, is that um, we also have to pivot the discussion. Um, that's across all sectors of um, and industry all around the world. And that is, we all need to come together and collaborate to fight emissions. The fight against fossil fuel is wasting too much energy and too much time. We need to partner with those that want to kill fossil fuels, help them understand that what we really wanna do is kill emissions. We can do that together, but we can only do it if we partner together and help each other do it. So there's a lot of partnering that needs to be done, a lot of collaboration, and we've got to focus on what the real problem is. And the, in, the uh, oil and gas industry can be a big part of helping to do this. But let me just ask you a last question about technology. I mean, those are very strong points you, you've made about what the focus should be. But let me just ask you, uh, on the agenda of, uh, for a lot of companies right now is hydrogen and just uh, Oxy's perspective on hydrogen and Chris, your perspective on, um, on what role that can play and what the challenges are there. Maybe Vicky first. We're actually um, producing and selling hydrogen today, so I believe it's also a part of the solution. I believe that there's more work to be done on making it technically more feasible, but I think ultimately it will happen. Uh, we, as many other companies, we continue to look at it because we're doing it today, and it uh, for us needs to be a part of another process to ensure that uh, initially the economics are justifiable for it, but what we believe over time it will be a key thing for the industry. Yeah, look, and, and, and building on that. If you look at through, if you look at the, the, the energy transition through the lens of different technologies, we've got carbon capture, whether it's direct air capture or at point, we've got hydrogen, clearly offshore wind, very large scale solar. So many technologies are gonna be necessary. Hydrogen is gonna be in the mix. And I agree with, with Vicky, 
there's some uh, there's some work to be done on the technology and the economics, but in the same ways we saw wind uh, technology cost base come down. If we look at solar cost base come down, I'm absolutely confident that uh, going forward we'll see hydrogen economic hydrogen production as part of the mix. Chris, would you want to speculate at all as to the timing or where we are on that? Uh, well, curve? you know, if you look at if you look at some of the large, if you look at an Aramco talking about 30 gigawatts of hydrogen electrolyzer, you look at Neom, uh, customer in 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 the Middle East now looking at big hydrogen. If you look at what Shell's doing, it's already emerging. Um, you know, and so for me, it's uh, we're going to see an exponential shift in the uh, technology advancement and the economics associated. So I think it's, it's sooner rather than later at a commercial scale. Well, Vicki and Chris, uh, thank you very much for this discussion. Very pleased to have you join us for this Week conversation. Uh, we've been talking with Vicki Hollop, who's the CEO of Occidental Petroleum, and uh, Chris Ashton, who's the CEO of Morley. Uh, the, our main focus has been the, the advances that they are doing together to uh, create direct air capture as a very important contribution to managing emissions. We talked about that, and then we talked more broadly about uh, the challenges of the industry uh, in terms of uh, people and in terms of the, the key issue is managing emissions and how technology and engineering will really be uh, the answers to that. Thank you very much for joining us for this Sierra Week conversation. Thanks, Dan, and thanks, Vicki. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you.